0: If you open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 24, Luke 24, we started a journey last week on the Emmaus Road. This is the section where Cleopas and an unnamed disciple were walking from the, they were taking the seven mile journey from Jerusalem to a town called Emmaus. And it was the day after Jesus's resurrection. And they were confused, they were disoriented, they were uh, kind of Downhearted, they were. Uh, they were just trying to piece together everything that had happened over the last seven days. And so, I positioned this metaphor as perhaps a helpful uh, framework for what we're all experiencing. I think we could maybe conclude that we're all in a seven-mile journey of our own. I don't know how many miles into this we are, but I think we have a little bit of a paradigm now. We're on the road from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And there's been a lot of upheaval, a lot of uncertainty, there's, been a, there's a lot of disorientation going on, we're trying to get our feet uh, on, our, on the ground again, and piece together what's happened. And so last week, I, uh, so kind of two applications from last week, I, I talked about how I think we can declare the Emmaus Road as the place where you learn the language of holy uncertainty, and where you get very familiar with the vocabulary of, I don't know. And that's okay. Anybody been working that muscle this week? I don't know. And that's okay. And it's also the journey where you lay down your maps and you trust your guide. There's really no need for a map when you've got a resurrected guide. And much like Austin was encouraging us to do, right? This is an opportunity where we get to work the muscles of laying down whatever our plans and purposes were for 2020 and trust our guide that he's with us And He's showing the way. And even though we may be like Cleopas and the other disciple, we can't see how He's unexpectedly joined us on this journey. And sometimes that happens in the chaos and in the noise. We want to be able to discern how Jesus has joined us on this way. So we're going to stay here in Luke 24 for today. And we're going to build upon this metaphor of being on the Emmaus Road Together, So, we're going to pick it up now, verse 22. Remember, the context is they're having a conversation with Jesus about Jesus' last seven days, but they don't recognize that it's Jesus whom they're talking to. So, they're speaking to Jesus about Jesus, but they don't recognize Jesus. Get it? It's one of those type of settings, ironic scenario happening, and they're continuing to unpack verse 22. He says, in addition, so they're continuing on, some of our women amazed us. They said they went to the tomb early this morning. Now, what do you think Jesus' nonverbal is? What do you think his nonverbal might be? It's like, hmm, I went to the tomb this morning, but didn't find his body. I could see him say, oh, really? Like, that had to be something they came, let's say they didn't find his body, and they came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Picture his face there. Picture Jesus go really? Well, that had to be something. Verse 24, then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Does anybody see the irony in that last sentence? So, Cleopas, the disciple, is saying, but him, they did their friends, the one they're saying, their friends did not see, they're staring in the face of. Boy, that's such a commentary in my life. Anyone else? Like how many times I've struggled to see how the face of God is turned towards me, but I can't see it. I'm too caught up in whatever circumstances, chaos, hurt, pain, distractions. I can't see when his face is always turned towards me. And maybe that's where some of you find yourself this morning. You turned on a live stream, maybe a friend or family member invited you, you've hit the quarantine wall, you said enough's enough, you don't know what to do with the amount and waves of uncertainty, maybe you're just cumulative exhausted at living in the space of the unknown, of what's going to come this week, whatever it is, and you might be feeling right here like you're saying, I... I don't know. And you're looking into the eyes of the one who's unexpectedly joined you on this journey. And it's Jesus of Nazareth. And He's our resurrected guide. And we can set down our maps and we can lean in and trust our guide. And in that space, we begin to see our eyes being opened. Now, look at what happens now in verse 25 to 27. Look what happens here says, how foolish you are. So, Jesus now speaks up. If you've got a Bible, you see the words in red there. So, on your phones, you see how the the text changed to red? Jesus now speaks up. He says to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe. Well, how many times am I? That's been the case. I'm just slow of heart to believe times. All that the prophets have spoken, Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets. If you know your Bible well, that's a good chunk of Scripture right there. That's a lot of Bible. Moses and all the prophets. He explained to them what was said in all the Scriptures concerning himself. Now, I know you appreciate good Bible studies you're a part of, but I think that's the top of the stack. That's like the best Bible study ever. The best Bible studies are led by the best leaders, and there's no better leader than Jesus himself. No better person than Jesus to take you through Deuteronomy and Isaiah and Jeremiah. That's what Cleopas and the disciple are getting on the road to Emmaus, which makes me think about, could it be that some of the unexpected ways Jesus is going to come to us as we open up his word during this stretch of 2020, and we find out that our eyes are opened in some ways, and Jesus is revealing some things to us and helping us see some things that, for whatever reason, we just couldn't see before. That's, that's what's happening here. And I want you to notice how Jesus is trying to give, hear this now, context to their lives and their uncertainty and their disorientation and everything that's been flipped on its lid. He's trying to give them context to what they're experiencing through his life. Do you see how he's opening their eyes to his life and his journey and his steps? Because in that His journey, as Cleopas and the other disciple have already decided, they're followers. The essence of being a follower is you inherit the agenda of the leader. The followers don't dictate to the leader what's going on. The the followers inherit the agenda of the leader. And Jesus tried to train them in this. He was trying to raise them up and prepare them for the Emmaus Road journey that was ahead. Though they struggled, like all of us, we're slow of heart. We're struggling to piece it together. And so Jesus reminds them of his life his story, his journey, to give them context to their life and their story and their journey. So Jesus' circumstances help understand their circumstances. Boy, I think there's application here for us. Remember back in Luke 9, Cleopas and disciples had disciple had to remember, oh, that's right, Jesus said things like this. I put in your notes, Luke chapter 9. If you haven't uh, pulled out your notes yet, it'd be helpful for you as you're going along here and the online hosts can direct you. Luke 9 says it this way, if anyone would come after me, He must deny himself, take up his cross, how often? Daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. Now, who do you know who says things like that? I've never met anyone in my life who says the kinds of things Jesus has said and has done the things Jesus has done. That's why I've given my whole life to him. I'm all in with him. No one says what Jesus has said and no one has done what Jesus has done. And he's trying to prepare what we're experiencing now. He's grounding us in his experience to help give context to our experience. Which in the history of the church is what the church calendar is about. Do you know what the... Five or the six Sundays following Easter are called. Those of you with liturgical backgrounds, you know all about this. So the six Sundays, the 50 days between Easter Sunday and Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost is Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit is poured out. There are 50 days from Easter Sunday to Pentecost. Do you know what this is called? This is called Easter Tide, T-I-D-E, Easter Tide. Or others have called it Paschal Tide. And the word paschal, I put in your notes there, it comes from the Hebrew word pasach, which means Passover. So it's a hearkening back to Exodus chapter 12, when the people put the blood of the lamb over the door frames of their house, and the angel of God passed over the Israelites' home when he saw the blood. It's why John said, in, uh, it's why John the Baptist said in John chapter 1, when he looked at Jesus, he said, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And some have translated the Paschal Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And these six Sundays are called in the language of the church calendar and ch- church historians, Paschal Sundays. So what's so significant about that? This is our opportunity to rehearse the rhythms and the life and the experience and the story of Jesus. And in doing so, it get context to ours. And church, let me tell you, I've been praying for a few weeks Obviously, none of us have lived through something like this. I mean, none of us have gone through the sequence of things. We have no idea what's ahead even this week. But I've been praying, I've been saying, Lord, I just, is there a, is there kind of a theological, biblical theological formation framework for what we're going through? Could you just give me something and just trying to help shepherd people, shepherd my own soul, shepherd family, shepherd the congregation? Like, is there some formation framework that just, helps us process all this. And church, I think it's this. When I began to read into this season of our church calendar, I just sensed from the Lord, this is like giving context for us. And so I put in your notes, here's the five stages of what church history calls the paschal mystery of Jesus. And it's this. Do you see them there in your notes? It's, I think you got a slide up here that has them all in there. So as crucifixion, resurrection, the 40 days, which is the gap we're in right now from resurrection to when he ascends, ascension and Pentecost. So those are the five stages. Crucifixion is we name our deaths. Resurrection, we claim our births. The 40 days, hear this, we grieve what you've lost and you adjust to a new reality. Interesting. Ascension is you let go of the old, you refuse to cling to what was and you let it ascend so that you get to Pentecost where you accept the new spirit for this new life that you are in fact living. i am just give you a moment to scan that and just internalize that a bit. Does anyone else find it as helpful as I'm finding it? Like, I think this is our story, which is what Jesus is trying to say on the Emmaus Road. I think the Emmaus Road is an opportunity for us to rehearse the Paschal mystery of Jesus. And who would have ever thought it would have aligned with the Passover of 2020? I don't think it's an accident, church. And I think we stay in the rhythm of where we're at in the church calendar, and we keep embracing this. Jesus' journey becomes our journey. Jesus' experience becomes our experience. Crucifixion, resurrection, 40 days, ascension, Pentecost. And we've got to move through these stages as we work our way through the spring of 2020 here. So what we're going to do this morning is we're just going to focus on the first two. So relax. Some of you are like, oh my gosh, this is going to be the longest sermon ever if he's going to do all five stages. Relax. The pot roast won't burn, I promise you, okay? So listen, we're going to hit the first two stages today. We're going to hit crucifixion and resurrection today. And then this Wednesday night, we're going to take some time and process more of what we're discussing today. And then next Sunday, we'll pick it up and carry on through some more stages, all right? And give you an opportunity just to internalize this. But I think this might be a really helpful framework to process what we're all experiencing. So many of you may be familiar with Kate Bowler. She's a pretty well-known author. Here's a picture of Kate. She wrote a book, a best-selling book recently. The title of the book there is Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Chosen to Believe. So the backdrop there on the book, it's a little bit of a memoir for Kate. You can see she's quite young. When she turned 35, she became a mom, and she was also diagnosed with very advanced stage colon cancer. So she's literally been living in holy uncertainty in the space of I don't know and that's okay because she doesn't know when her physical life is necessarily going to come to an end. And so she writes this little bit of a memoir book, a reflection on all that she's been experiencing. Well, earlier this month, the New York Times uh, called Kate Bowler and did an interview with her about COVID-19 and what we're going through as a culture right now. In light of her own journey, they were asking her questions about suffering as a whole. And one of the first questions they asked her it tapped into this space of what she called um, this American obsession with positivity. So stay with me here. I put the quote in your notes because I found it helpful and slightly funny as well. It says, the idea that we're all supposed to be positive all the time has become an American obsession. It gives us momentum and purpose to feel like the best is yet to come. But the problem is when it becomes a kind of poison in which it expects that people who are suffering, which is pretty much everyone right now, she did this interview in early April, are somehow always supposed to find the silver lining or not speak realistically about their circumstances. The main problem is that it adds shame to suffering by requiring everyone to be prescriptively joyful. Isn't that a great phrase? Prescriptively joyful. Uh, If I see one more millionaire on Instagram yell that she's choosing joy while selling journals in which stay-at-home moms are supposed to write joy mantras, I'm going to lose my mind. Yes. Well said, Kate. Do I get an amen out there, moms? Huh? I mean, how many more times, right? This is not a time where you just like live prescriptively joyful. This isn't a time where you drink the Kool-Aid of positivity. This isn't it. This is a time where you enter the Paschal mystery of Jesus. And the first stage is this. You come and you work through Good Friday, crucifixion, our deaths. In the language of last Sunday, Do you remember from Luke 24 the phrase that Cleopas and the disciples said to Jesus? But we had hoped that. They had hoped for things to unfold. They had hope that the Romans would be put finally in their place. They had hope to not see Jesus get that bloodied and brutally beaten. They had hope that the Jews would somehow be restored and renewed to some position of power. They had all of these hopes, and they were just experiencing the first step, the first stage in the Paschal journey is naming our deaths. Because that's key, crucifixion is tied to resurrection, claiming our births. There's a rhythm. The essence of the Paschal journey is the way that Jesus brings new life from just things that are seemingly dead. In the language of John 12, it's the kernel of wheat that falls into the ground and dies. It's like, how does God do that? How does he let something die as a precursor to coming to life? It's the Paschal journey. And so last Sunday afternoon, the Harmon family, here's a picture of Brant and Sarah Harmon and their kiddos and crew. It's not the whole Harmon family. They've got a couple of foster kids who had to protect confidentiality there. So I thought you'd get a kick out of that. But that's Brant and Sarah. We love the Harmon family. Harmon family, we love you. We miss seeing you. Brant and Sarah, after last Sunday's message, led a little Emmaus Road devotional time together. And they ask every member of the family to create two lists. So here's a picture with their permission. I'm sharing this with you. They ask every family member to create a list of, but I had hoped. Do you see that up there? And then they ask every family member, but I never expected. So two lists, but I had hoped, but I never expected. One gets at, paschally speaking, crucifixion, naming the deaths. The other gets at resurrection, claiming our births. And boy, we've all, I mean... Nobody's lacking, right, the list of what you could put on, but I had hoped in 2020, right? I know a bunch of students right now. I know there's a bunch of seniors and graduates filling up the whole list of what you had hoped. And then there's others, whether it's on the work front, whether it's on the family front, the financial front. Some of you have been saying goodbye to loved ones, not COVID-19 related. Others of you just found out some loved ones just were diagnosed that way. Whatever it is, we all have the, but I had hoped. And then you look and what Brant and Sarah shared via text was it just became a good exercise for them to see all the ways that Jesus has unexpectedly joined us on this journey. And he's bringing new life from what seemed to be death and ending. This is it, church. Do you see it? This is a healthy part. This is where we're at in this stage. We've got to enter in. We've got to name our deaths. We've got to name our endings, We've got to be clear with our losses. Not stop there, but that has to be the starting point. We can't drink the Kool-Aid of positivity and just say, oh, it's all just going to be fine. It's like her book title, oh, God's in control. Everything's just going to be fine. That's not super helpful right now. That wasn't helpful to Cleopas and the disciples. They're on there. They needed to come to grips with the current realities of what was ending What was dying? What were their losses? And that's also for our young people. Children and students, an important step for you. I know as a culture, we're not great at this. We are not great at grieving losses. But I suspect one of the things we're going to harvest out of 2020 is we're going to get a little bit better through this. In a sense, we don't really have a choice because we're thrust into such a long period of time of naming our deaths and then claiming our births. So with the remainder of the message this morning, I just want to unpack three deaths that I think we all shared experience. These are humanity things. It's just part of being a human. And to kind of make it super practical, like on how this works to live into the Paschal mystery. So the first one I put in your notes is the death of our youth. Now memo, no matter how many calories you count, no matter how many carbs you cut, no matter how many miles you pound on the treadmill, memo. Your body is fading away. Your body is getting older. You are not reversing the age cycle. The reality is this. The older you get, the more you come to grips with Good Friday has come to your youth. You are dying to your youth. (laughs) So for me, this is my first year I've lived In the 50s. So I turned 51 this week. And I remember growing up when I was in my teens and 20s, I remember when I would meet someone in their 50s and I'd be like, wow, they're just like super old. Like they're just, I also thought they were probably filled with a lot of wisdom too, but I just thought, man, they were old in their 50s. And now I'm like, wow, I'm 50 now. Huh. Doesn't seem so old now. Anybody else? Right? Where you just go, It's the sense of which I have to, part of my journey, as well as anyone else, as you age through the decades ish, you recognize that there's an appropriate death to your youth. Good Friday has come to us in our 50s. All I have to do is go out and try like water skiing and jumping the wake like I used to. Some of you remember that story from this past year. When I try to do that, I'm not 18 anymore. And then I had a friend this week send me this picture. Good timing, huh? So here's a photo for when I, when I was 15. Check it out, right? That's the Dew Crew Bowling League right there. That's my, that's my brother there on my left. It's my good friend Jody on my right. And you wonder how I swept Kendra off her feet. Come on, church. How could she resist such a look like? Look at that mullet, huh? Look at that. Look at that physique, Look at that racing t-shirt. She couldn't keep her hands off of me, church. Come on now. Look at that. 15 years old. It was about a year or so from there when I met Kendra, just to give you context right there. I was showing our our girls and family that this week they were just getting a crack up. And some of you are just like right now experiencing trauma because you never saw Pastor Eric at all with one stitch of hair. Look at that right there, huh? Wasn't that a thing of beauty? The Dew Crew Bowling League, 1985. Now, play Pastor Obvious for a minute. I've long since had Good Friday come to that youth. And here's a choice. Pascally speaking, here's my choice and your choice as we age. We have a choice to either try to cling, follow me now, cling to what used to be, to refuse to let go, to refuse to name, right, name the death, claim the birth, And clutch grasp and cling to what used to be think about this in the aging process as a culture generally speaking we struggle with this there's a whole lot of people in their 60s trying to live like they're in their 20s and 30s they've never really relinquished and released and hear this if you don't do this you can't get to the stage of pentecost where you receive the spirit that's appropriate for the life you're actually living Did you follow that? If you still try to, if you're trying to behave like you're two or three decades younger than you really are, you're clutching, you're grasping, you're clinging, you're refusing to let go of what used to be. And this isn't easy as you get older, I get it, but we have to let go of what used to be. The biblical character for this is Mary Magdalene in the garden um, with Jesus when he rose from the dead. Do you remember in John 20? She grasped at his feet, and she held on to him tightly. She was wanting to hold on to the Jesus that she had, which was preventing her from moving in and receiving the spirit of what he was claiming the birth, naming it and claiming. Do you see this? So we'll get in more to that in the weeks ahead. But just want you to stay with me here in this eight. Death to our youth looks like this. We've got a choice. We can either refuse to let go of what used to be. That's the clinging. Or we can do this. We can be honest and simply declare that Good Friday has come to our youth. For me, Good Friday has come to my youth long ago. And I can say this. It was wonderful, my 20s. It was wonderful to be in my 20s. It was great to be in my 30s. It was good to be in my 40s, but it's even better to be 50. And if I do that, if I relinquish the grip and the control and refuse to try to go back to once once what was, and I simply embrace what is, and then I receive the Pentecost spirit that's appropriate for someone who's 50 years old. And in that, there's freedom there's life. Because when there's a gap, when you're in your 60s and you're trying to live like you're in your 30s, there's no internal peace here. All kinds of things are disoriented and out of a line. And if, you're no, if you don't believe me and you know you're trying to do that, just ask the people who know you well and have enough humility to listen to their input and they'll probably tell you. You're trying to be someone you're not. Because you haven't named your death to claim your birth, to grieve the loss appropriately, to refuse to clutch into grass so you can receive The spirit that's in step with the age. Ronald Rollsheiser, this quote was really helpful to me in this section. He said, some of the happiest people in the whole world are 70 years old. (laughs) And some of the unhappiest people in the world are that age. Stay with me here. The difference is not in who has kept him or herself the slimmest or most youthful looking, but in Pentecost. Pentecost. The happy 70-year-old is a woman or a man who has received the Spirit for someone that age, that Spirit which Scripture says is given to each of us in a particular way for each particular circumstance in life. So the first death, church, every single one of us, young people listening, this is a reality you're going to have to face too. At some point, you are not going to be youthful. It's healthy to internalize it and live into it. And when you get older, to name the death. It's okay that Good Friday has come to my youth because hear this now, if I can come to grips with that, Easter Sunday and resurrection comes as well because you receive the spirit appropriate with the age that you are. And in that church is life. That's freedom. That's fullness of life right there. Second one, I put in there, death of our wholeness. We have to come to grips not with the death of our youth, the death of our wholeness. You don't have to live much life to realize that you're going to experience a fair amount of brokenness, either self-inflicted, you're living in a fallen world around piles and piles of sin, either inflicted upon yourself or others inflicted upon you. Many of you have known long, long ago Good Friday has come to your wholeness. And some of you listening right now, I recognize when you think about wholeness this way and you think about the trauma that's been inflicted on your life, I recognize there are some layers of trauma that are really deep. And I'm certainly not discounting that. I'm inviting you to enter into it paschally. I'm saying it's really important to come to grips with this because in a paschal mystery sense, here's the choice you have with your wholeness. You can live in denial. You can try to refuse. You're going to clutch into grasp what used to be. You're going to live in denial of the brokenness and the pain because it's too hurtful to go there. So you're going to try to shove it away, bury it in the hand, numb, whatever. You're just going to try to push it as far away as you can. That's, but or you can do this. You can declare Good Friday has come to your wholeness for whatever set of circumstances it came to you that way. You can name the death, claim the birth, grieve the loss and adjust to the new reality, you can refuse to clutch to grasp. you can let it ascend, and in doing so, you can receive the Spirit with the appropriateness of the life you're actually living. Because church, hear this now, all of us right now are currently living April 2020. We're currently living in the cumulative effect of a whole sequence of thing, of brokenness that's been inflicted upon us. Either self-inflicted or others inflicted, or just simply being in a fallen world inflicted. We're all the cumulative effect, our whole Good Friday has sent our wholeness to the cross long ago. And the journey is this we gotta go through the Paschal. we gotta name that death, we gotta claim that birth, we've got to grieve that loss, we've got to let it ascend. Refuse to clutch and to grasp of what you wish was, what used to be, so you can receive the Spirit. That's in step with the life you and I are actually living. It's the death of our wholeness. So it's the death of our youth, death of our wholeness, and lastly, there's the death of our dreams. Well, we could go on and on on this one, right? This tends to start pretty early, right? You've got dreams of what kind of a family you're going to have. Some of you have experienced recently the death of a vision and a dream for your family, That, that's happened. Some of you've had dreams like career-wise, business-wise, ministry-wise. Many of you students had dreams from academic standpoint and college standpoint, and you just go down the list, what kind of dreams we've all had and aspirations that we've had And part of living in the fallen world that we're living in is you're going to experience Good Friday coming to your dreams. And if you'll stay with Jesus and be honest there, then you'll also see resurrection coming. You can see new life coming. Because if we'll work through this Paschal journey together, think about all the new beginnings that have sprung forth in your life right on the backside of a gut-wrenchingly difficult ending you think about them now? That might be a good exercise, actually, for this week, especially on the family front. Think through, like, those of you who've been living a little more life than some others around the table, talk about in the journey of really hard-to-understand endings, and in the moment, you're just like, you couldn't see anything good. And then living a little more life and looking back upon you, you go, well, there's all these new beginnings that sprung forth. Yes. But it had to start with naming the death in claiming the birth, grieving the loss to adjust to a new reality, refusing to clutch in the grass, let it ascend, so you can receive the spirit that's appropriate with the life you're actually living. If your heart has been shattered and broken from some dreams that have long since been washed away, you don't want to live in denial of that. You want to move towards it, face it, and name it. And begin to claim and look for the new beginning that comes. You don't want to cling to something that used to be you've got to relinquish. and You've got to let it ascend so you can come to an integrated life to receive the Pentecost spirit for the life you're living today. Which the longer you go, the more you realize you've long since said goodbye to youth. And very early we learn we say goodbye to wholeness. And it doesn't take long for us to experience shattered dream after shattered dream. Listen to how A.W. Tozer puts it. I put this uh, quote in your notes here. It says, "'The meek man is not a human mouse afflicted with a sense of his own inferiority. Rather, He may be in his moral life as bold as a lion and as strong as Samson, but he has stopped being fooled about himself. That's the Paschal statement. He has accepted God's estimate of his own life. In himself, nothing. In God, everything. That is his motto. And church, that's the Paschal mystery of Jesus. That's what I'm inviting us into during these weeks. Because I suspect for all of us, we can add a list of other deaths The spring of 2020 may be kind of thrusting upon us. I put just a short list for me. I've been thinking about maybe it's the death. I'll look back on 2020, and maybe I'll say maybe it's the death of frantic busyness and chronic distraction. Maybe that needs to die. Maybe it's the death of the overscheduled family. Maybe it's the death of hyper-individualism. I don't know what are the things we're going to look back on in 2020, but I think we're going to have a whole list of deaths. If we'll walk with Jesus, if we'll let Jesus' journey be our journey, if we'll set our eyes on him on the Emmaus Road, put down our maps, lead into our resurrected guide, and walk in his steps, and his steps are labeled this, Crucifixion Church, we got to name our deaths. So resurrection, we claim our births. So the 40 days, we grieve our losses and we adjust to a new reality. And so ascension can come. We refuse to clutch into grass. We relinquish control. We let it ascend. So Pentecost, we receive the spirit that's in step with the life we're actually living. I think that's the Paschal invitation of Jesus for the spring of 2020. And I think if we'll stay with him on this journey, it will be the testimony of us individually and collectively. We didn't just get through these days, but we're going to grow through them together. We're going to point back to very specific things as He formed and He shaped. So this week, Austin, come back on up. We're going to have one final song here. But this week, I just transitioned to assignment for the week. I put in your notes. Here's what I'd like you to do this week church-wide, and those of you guests joining us, please join us in these exercises. I'd love you to spend some time individually as a family unit creating two lists. So, every family member create two lists. We're going to do the Harmon Family Devotional, basically. We're going to create an I-had-hope list and then an I-never-expected list. You tracking with me? Uh, But-I-had-hope list and but-I-never-expected List. I'd like you to do that individually and then come together as a family. Or if you're single, get on Zoom with some friends and share your list. Have a time where you just talk about. It's part of the process of naming our deaths and claiming our births. And then I want you to prioritize coming this Wednesday. I know some of you maybe haven't joined us on a Wednesday night. Could you make it a priority to join us this Wednesday at 7? Because we're just going to take about 45 minutes and this is all we're going to do. We're simply going to put our feet where Jesus put his on this Paschal journey. And we're just gonna give us some time and space through music, through song, through prayer, through reflection. I'm just gonna call it a time of guided processing of the Paschal mystery of Jesus. Because church, we're on a seven miler. It's called the Emmaus Road. And I think if we'll stay in this, I think we'll see how Jesus is gonna unexpectedly join us and show up in some ways, and bring some life of what feels right now is seeming death. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much that you would go the route that you would go, that you would give of yourself, that you would model for us what it means to fall into the ground and die, that new life might spring forth. We're so grateful for your love for us. We're grateful that you would preserve stories like Luke 24 in the Emmaus Road. And I pray you'd meet each one of us in this space of crucifixion, resurrection, 40 days, ascension and Pentecost. Form us and shape us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.